Welcome to the third episode of the Anglo-Omani Society podcast. Today we welcome Omani foodie sensation Dina Mackey. Yes, that's me. When I'm not in the office, you'll find me cooking up a storm in the kitchen as I'm on a mission to make Omani cuisine the world's next best thing. I hope you enjoy. Although she needs no introduction, Dina was born and raised in the UK to an Omani father and Zanzibari mother. She's not only my colleague at the Anglo-Omani Society, but an accomplished chef and food blogger. Her dining with Dina's supper clubs are Instagram famous and the hottest ticket in town for the most on-trend foodies. Dina, thanks so much for joining me today. No, thank you so much for doing this with me. So Dina, living in London, it's often thought of as the culinary capital of the world, uh, but Amani cuisine is conspicuously absent. You're on a mission to change this. So why does Amani cuisine deserve the world's attention? Yes, so that is it. My whole mission is to make Omani food like the next best thing around. And you know what? I think Omani food just hasn't been given the credit it deserves. And I think that's more so because in Oman, we just we keep to ourselves. We're a happy, beautiful country, um, but we're very, very quiet for everything that we do. And so it's, it's never really been given its moment. And the best thing really about Omani food is how diverse it is due to the, like, if we look back in history at the spice trade route and the Silk Road, and how that really, really shaped Omani cuisine till today. It's not just Arab food. It's a collection of Arab food, East African food, Indian food, even down to Portuguese and Persian. So we really engulfed every part um, and made it our own. Oh, I love it. So, I mean, how would you describe Omani cu- cuisine if you were just to kind of boil it down to, to a brief sentence to encapsulate it? Okay, I would say Omani food is... The ingredients and crops of the Levantine and Middle Eastern world combined with the spices of India and I would say variety of dishes and techniques from East Africa. Um, yeah, I think that's the best way. It's kind of hard. I mean, Omanis themselves have some amazing techniques for food and things, but I would say Zanzibaris really taught them, you know, how to do something different with a coconut um, and how to take sweet dishes and use them as savory things. And India really hit them with the spices and the warm, and especially the warm spices like cinnamons, um, cinnamons, chilies. Uh, they also gave us cardamom, black pepper. So we have a lot to thank them for there. And then I would say in Zanzibar, they they were, the, they were the reason that cloves were introduced to Oman. So I think the biggest part of that history was when Oman discovered Zanzibar, they actually ended up, they were the reason it became known as the Spice Island because they discovered that Zanzibar were growing so many cloves. I have to say my, my great-great-grandfather even had clove farms in Zanzibar. And um, they that was the reason Oman became well-known because everyone wanted these cloves. And so it's still rich today in Oman's cooking. Um, and then I think depending on what part of Oman you are at, you know, if you're in the subtropic area such as Jebel Akhtar or Salala, then you also get the rich crops um, that you that you also see in the rest of the Middle East. But then if you're obviously closer to the Sea of Oman, you're experiencing all of the amazing fish um, dishes. So that's so fascinating. So you've got this cuisine, which is kind of so influenced by Oman's rich maritime and trading history, and its location at the intersection of, of traditional spice routes. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you couldn't actually, you know, Oman today wouldn't have all of its amazing food if it wasn't for all of these. So if we kind of look back, um, it, it's not just, it didn't just begin with them going to Sandsborough and taking that spice fruit. It started all the way back in the 16th century uh, when they had the Persians. And I think especially, I want to say, Southeast Iran, who kind of came in, they tried to invade while the Portuguese were there. So the Portuguese were already put their influence when they came at the, 16th, the beginning of the 16th century on their way to India. So the Portuguese had their Mediterranean flair on there. Um, and then because the Portuguese were going back and forth between there and India, they were also bringing over what India had at the beginning. And then the Persians obviously came in, the Ottoman Empire came in at that same time trying to take over. And so they also came with their own ingredients. So obviously in Persia, if we look at what they have, they very much have roses and different nuts such as almonds and pistachios. And I'd say the main thing they also brought over um, were pomegranates and also the juniper berry so those particular two ingredients came from iran and you can only find the juniper berry in the i think it's the hajra mountains which is closest obviously to iran and then you find them in jebel akta because of the weather but Omanis have never really used juniper berries for food because actually, you know, they're very potent and we like to use them for gin. So, I mean, unless Omanis want to start making some gin, uh, they are more for medicinal purpose. And then pomegranates, which are key to um, Jebel Akhtar. Like, if you know anything about Jebel Akhtar, they're really known for having incredible pomegranates. And I would say they probably derive from the Persians. So then... If we then look after um, when Oman finally managed to take back the country and they started then, you know, trading across, they went back to Iran took um, and traded there and took the ingredients they liked from there, went to India, took all of these warm spices, brought them back. And then I think the best thing that happened, obviously, when they came to Zanzibar was that, the, you know, they had India was also um, getting involved with Zanzibar. So you had this collection of people that were almost sharing all of their ingredients. And Oman, I would say, just just came back with them and said you know we're going to make something amazing out of this and they truly did that's so interesting so in Oman itself does the cuisine differ region by region are there really identifiable flavors that you'd have in say Tafari cuisine versus someone like Tahiti or Muscat you know if I'm blindfolded and I'm tasting a traditional dish can I always <laughs> point on a map where we are do you know what I would say I would say yes to some dishes. So obviously, if we look at Salala first, so Salala actually have a lot of camels. Um, and naturally, because they're actually overwhelmed with camels, I remember uh, the Fari person telling me that they actually have to kill the camels because they've got too many. So you'll find a lot of camel meat in food from Salala and they tend to boil it and grill it. Um, anything that's really not done in an oven, because a lot of them live in the mountains where electricity is limited. And so they, they make use of other ways of cooking. So I remember when I went to visit some families in the mountains they were all you know they were grilling on barbecues and they were boiling so anything that could be done on top of a fire so that's significant there and camel meat is really and camel milk especially is really significant to Salala especially as they border very close with Yemen um, they also get a Yemeni influx of kind of food and the way that they make their own meals there. And then I think um, if you go to places like Jebel Akhtar, again, where I said it's subtropic, you know, they have a lot more vegetation. They have a lot more different ingredients growing. So you'll find more vegetables and fruits in their food. And then especially if you come to anywhere across the coastal area, it's fish. You know, they love their fish. Things like hamour, which is hamour is, uh, you know, I was actually trying to study what hamour really is in English. And hamour there is a white fish. It's a, a really common fish. And apparently, you know, in the Middle East, 
they use hamor as a word just to describe this common fish that they all have but i think if you look um if you research it on the english side it's something like a red spotted cod um don't completely quote me on that it's something <laughs> like that so it's actually more of a brown fish um but that's a really type of common fish you know lobster season is incredible for the south coast and i think again for the south coast because of this maritime history um you know you'd see the biggest um the biggest use of zanzibari cuisine so a lot of coconut a lot of use of lemons um a lot of use of spices and chili so so i would say their food across the coast is probably the spiciest Oh, so interesting. And you, get, you really get a sense, I think, in Oman, that in cooking such a ceremony, it's not really like the UK. So, I mean, it seems to be a kind of a big family affair. So how much is your cooking influenced by your family, by your mum's recipes, your, your grandma's recipes? I know at your supper clubs, it's a total family affair. and Your mum and grandma are totally roped in. Yeah, no. So my whole family get involved into my supper clubs. My grandma's now 81 and she turns up to my supper clubs and she's cooking all day and I, I make her work hard. Like <laughs> there's no just chilling out for her. And I would say that's why I cook and that's why we all enjoy our food so much because we don't just, you know, we don't just grab our food from the kitchen and sit down by ourselves or anything. Everyone comes together every Friday, spot on without fail. Omani families will be with their families on a Friday lunch and enjoy that time and it's not just a quick lunch and it's over those lunches can be like three to four hours long everyone's socializing all the grandchildren are there you know it's a real blessing a friday is because it's their weekend already it's a holy day and they really engulf that whole experience of you're not just sitting down to eat you're really just sitting down to like kind of share that moment and it's one thing i noticed different growing up because it's how we always used to eat my mum would make lots and lots of food my grandmother would cook as if she was feeding an army <laughs> and you know we'd all like sit down and enjoy this food we'd all come together and we were all sat on the floor it doesn't matter if your house wasn't big enough you know you just find somewhere to sit and when i'd go to my like european friends houses you'd all sit down at a table and you wouldn't see loads of big huge platters of food you sometimes could just be given your food on the plate and that's kind of it after that you know there was no extras and it, it's a very different way it's a very different culture i'd say and i think that's why i love cooking and that's why we all love our food so much because it, it food generally brings people together and if you look at what oman has done in terms of you know it, it had its it was invaded yes and it it then went its own way and it went into zanzibar mombasa um, India everywhere and they didn't just take their things and then say goodbye they you know they took their food products and they also took the people with them and they said you know you're, you're now part of Oman we are all one you know this isn't just our home come and join our home and we will cook together and I think that's what the food really demonstrates oh, I love that of a sentiment I'm totally sold on, on Omani cuisine but I mean what what is next on your quest to get it into the into the international limelight that it so kind of rightly deserves well, I think first and foremost, you know, you don't find Omani restaurants across the world. And I think that's more so because you know, Omani's, Omani's travel, Omani's are everywhere. You know, they, they study outside, they work outside, but we all end up coming back to Oman because we love it so much. So I think, you know, no one's done the restaurant because they don't want to be away from Oman. <laughs> yeah. um, so I have looked into maybe having an Omani restaurant in the UK, especially in London. That would be like the ultimate goal. But I want 
Omani food to reach everyone. So I want to have Omani food products that can be sold worldwide. I want to see Omani dates um, get distributed across the world because it's something amazing um, that we have in Oman. And actually, um, back in 2018, before the late Sultan Qaboos died, he um, actually um, asked a, uh, a man called Saif Al-Shaksi, to, Dr. Saif Al-Shaksi, to plant one million um, date palms. And so it's a project that's ongoing at the moment and they've already begun and they've done so much work and the idea of that was um, there's this kind of ancient old legend that says you know if a family has a date palm they will never be without food and that very much so goes for the whole of the Middle East because you can make so much from dates and you know dates keep the whole family going and so the idea that the Sultan had was that if we have all of these date palms, you know, if anything ever happens to Oman, we won't be at a loss. You know, if there's no more oil left, dates will be the thing that saves us. So the idea behind this is that they should be able to export something like 96,000 tons, um, million, like 96,000 million tons or tons a year um, across the world, which will actually be able to supply Oman really well. So I want to see more things that are Omani come out of Oman and go across the world. I think that's the best way to really show everyone that Omani has great, Oman has great food. Yeah, yeah I always hear you say there's nothing as sweet as an Omani date. Yeah, it is. It's the sweetest. Like, they're super, super sweet. And then we also have Omani dates that we put in Omani honey. So if the Omani date wasn't sweet enough for you, we've really cracked the code of that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. No, I love it. I mean, only having visited uh, Oman back in January, I mean, the food there is, is incredible. And I just think it does just deserve a world to, to taste it. But um, I'm, 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 again, as I said, you know, I'm totally sold. So right, what I want to ask you now, okay, some <laughs> few kind of like quick fire questions. So okay. this is, this is, you know, I'm, uh, I've landed in, in Muscat. I'm a tourist. I've never been to Oman before. And I want to dive into the food culture. So what other kind of three must try Omani dishes? Oh, okay. Three must. Oh, that's a hard one. Okay, so first and foremost, without a doubt, is Omani shua. Um, Omani shua basically is cooked mainly for the second day of Eid or really on a special occasion, maybe like a wedding. And what happens is a family will sacrifice an animal um, and they also, they usually sacrifice two. So one to feed their family and one to feed a, a family in need. And um, these animals are then, you know, they're sacrificed, they are marinated in a special shua marinade which encompasses basically every single spice that makes up Oman um, and then they are put into these sacks so the sacks are made from banana leaves so the actual outside sack is made from date palm um, and then the inside they line it instead of how we would line with foil they actually line with banana leaves and um, that actually really influences the taste of the meat they are put in these sacks and then they are actually all chucked into the ground into this like piping hot like, like it basically is a barbecue underground and they call it a tenor so an oven in the ground and then that is loads of these bags are chucked into there and it usually do it between like a whole village there's so many sacks in there you close this lid with it's usually with a really piece of really big piece of steel to like really seal it and um, they close it again with sand around it so that no air can escape and it's piping hot in there and you leave these animals in there for what two two days to cook and you get this amazing tender meat that comes off and that truly is like oh my 
Armani food down to a T. Like one of the best experiences you can ever have. So that's the first one. Yeah, sounds would, delicious. <laughs> yeah, I would then say um, the second one is the Kabuli rice. So you tend to, whenever you go to an Armani restaurant, they'll say, do you, know what, do you want plain rice? Do you want saffron rice? Or do you want Kabuli rice? Kabuli rice really is, again, another, another way to encompass Armani flavors and spices because this rice is usually either made with the stock from the animal or um, it's just made with things like dried limes, cinnamon, cardamom, black pepper, coriander seeds. So everything that, you know, they got on their spice route is, is put into that dish. So it's a really important type of rice to have. I would then say um, there's two types of bread you'd have to try. So the first one is khubz rahal and khubz rahal is a really paper thin, it's, it's thinner than paper um, and it's a bread that they make on a really large round kind of frying pan that's completely flat and it's a really old technique that you make it almost into like a paste and you put this paste onto the frying pan and then it's so thin but you eat it you then fold it up you have it for like breakfast and you put it in with like a cream cheese and Omani honey so great and then I said the other bread um, which I'd say is more of a thing for Bahraini tribes of Oman is um, Khubz Marduf, which is basically almost like a chapati bread with lots of layers. It's made square and it's also made with macerated dates inside it. So that's great again for breakfast. Amazing. So, okay, I'm in Muscat. Where do I go? What are the, what are the top three best recommendations for a Mali food in Muscat. Okay. I would say Beit Luban because that gives you the whole experience. It's beautiful inside and you get amazing dishes, which are, you get a lot of the Zanzibari dishes and the Omani dishes. That's the one um, on the Corniche, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you have Al Diafa. So Al Diafa is great if you want to try camel meat. Um, and also you get the whole sit on the floor experience too. That's really authentic. It's, you know, there's nothing, um, it's not all flashy and pretty and everything. It's just, you know, the real right way to eat, I would say. I love that place, especially for the camel meat that's made in tamarind. Um, and then I would also say Uba. So Uba is also Omani food, but they've actually tried to modernize it, which is great. So you get all the um, typical Omani dishes, but they've just done them in different ways. So yeah, top three. I love it. God, you've got me, uh, you've got me feeling hungry, Dina. <laughs> okay. So, right. Last quick bye round. Yeah. This time, you're Omani landing in London. Where are you going to go? Oh, okay. Um, I would say first place is a Peruvian place I love. Um, it's called Pachamama. Uh, great Peruvian food. Omanis would love it because there's a lot of fish in there. Really like lemony flavors and their ceviches. Totally, totally worth it. I would say the second one is an Italian. I'm really skeptical on Italian restaurants in London. Um, I think they should just be in Italy. <laughs> Don't get the same flavors. But actually, this one brings all fresh produce from Italy constantly. And it's called Bancone, the, the most incredible freshly made pasta you'll ever try. And then I would say the last one is one I tried recently. It's called Shaku Fuyu. And it's done by a company called Bone Daddies. And it's a Japanese restaurant. Incredible. And I, I generally need to go back to finish the rest of the menu. But those are my top three. Awesome. Well, Dina, thanks so much. I think we've, uh, I think we've given all those uh, culinary bases um, a pretty good cover. <laughs> so um, that's awesome. Um, thank you very much. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in person again after um, yes, all the of end of this coronavirus well. stuff. Yeah, which is yeah. so crazy. But um, <laughs> no, thanks so much. And so uh, yeah, you. we'll speak soon. Great. Take care. You too. Bye. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode and it didn't make you feel too hungry. If you would like to learn more about my food, head to dimedina.co.uk. Or if you're more of a social media person, you can check me out on Instagram. My username is dimedina. And please don't forget to stay tuned to more Anglo-Omani Society podcasts or head to our website ao-soc.org for more information about what we do and what's coming up next. Thank you.